Well, as you said, I mean, I've got sort of online training and I've got the podcast and I'm really trying to work on my golf handicap, successfully and unsuccessfully. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Where Accountants Go podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, hey, we have a great guest for you today. Paul Meissner joined us for today's episode, and I don't want to give away too much in the intro, but he surprised me about midway through the show when he mentioned that he basically works two and a half days a week in his accounting practice. Now, granted, he has a few other ventures where he enjoys spending his time, one of them being a podcast of his own, actually. But it also sounds like a substantial amount of that time is spent on perfecting his golf swing as well. So he definitely has shaped his situation to fit the type of life that he wants to lead. Now, to be fair, on that note, he is a family man also. We talked about his kids quite a few times during the episode. He certainly seems to have achieved the the work-life balance that that so many people chase, or at least he's much further along than many of us are. This really is an interesting interview. I think you're truly going to enjoy it, as well as get some insights into your own career aspirations and and work-life aspirations, perhaps. Paul has quite a story. If you do enjoy this podcast for yourself, please take the time to rate us in your podcast app. I know it takes a little extra effort, and it's not like you get an immediate reward or anything, but it really does help others decide whether or not they should try out the show. So I very sincerely appreciate each and every rating we get. Thank you very much. If you could find just an extra minute or two to do that, that would be very much appreciated. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with this week's guest. Here's Paul Meissner. Well, hey, Paul, welcome to the show. Mark, pleasure to be here. Beautiful. Well, for the audience, we have Paul Meissner on the show with us today. And Paul's actually our second guest from Australia. And and frankly, this is hard for me to believe as well because I'm in Texas. So this is special. But one of our recent guests, Ryan Lozanis from Future Firm up in Canada, referred Paul to me right after his own episode was released. And I thought Paul would make a great guest. I'm going to be learning right along with everyone else, so this is going to be an adventure because we have quite a time difference, so we didn't get to talk in advance, but this will definitely be a good conversation. Well, Paul, before we get into your company, Five Ways Chartered Accountants, and I want to hear about your podcast also, let's start at the beginning so we understand where you came from. What led you to decide to consider accounting as a possible career? in the first place? Yeah, so I grew up in a a household of accountants, really. Um, My dad was an accountant and he ran a firm as long as I can remember in my high school days. And so I I suppose it was what I knew. had a very good teacher in business management and those sort of commerce type courses going through school and was able to work in my father's firm during sort of school holidays and stuff. The old dot matrix printers, you used to peel the side off the paper. I think I... I still remember playing with the offcuts of that paper and, and highlighting endless transactions. Can't even remember why, but I think you just always remember dot matrix printout print and a highlighter. But I think certainly that gave me a good start and gave me the view of what the accounting is. It, it is funny. I hear a lot of people talk about the stereotypes of accountants and especially when they get started and people at the moment, so probably coming out of school going, oh, isn't accounting boring and isn't it being automated? You know, I think you're a product of what you see. And sort of from an early age, I saw my dad's role as an accountant and how close and sort of the, the relationships he built with his clients and how they relied on him and on the firm. And I think that 
like I said, you grow up thinking about an industry the way you experience first. And I had a very good experience with it. And certainly I think also it helps when you have a, I suppose, a skill for the numbers and you understand numbers. So probably all of that helped in a way and at least gave me a good start. I think the other thing for me, and I've probably realized this far more as I've gone through my career, is any grounding in finance, any grounding in accounting, would just it does not matter what you sort of do in the future, whether you run your own business, whether you help other businesses, whether you're on charity boards or whatever, or just run a household budget. Knowledge about accounting is just is so important in a lot of different roles. It's quite amazing. Interesting. Uh, we have a little bit in common, actually. My father was an accountant, and I worked for him middle school, high school, through college. I sort of had no choice but become an accountant. <laughs> it sounds like it ran in your blood, too. That is interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting, and, I know, and you know, without sort of progressing my career too quickly, but the concept of choice was something that was really interesting in very much my father was very strong on not forcing me and never and never promising a job, never promising that I would go from day one to day retirement through his firm. He was very good at do what you want. If you want to work during the school holidays with me, I can give you work. I can tell you what to do. But if you also want to go and do other careers or other endeavors, then you're free to. You know, there certainly wasn't any, there was 100% choice in my early career path. Okay. Okay. So did you work in your father's firm straight out of college or did you go see the rest of the world or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it very interesting. I, um, between a lot of people in Australia back when, however many years ago, when I did, did a, a gap year, sort of went traveling. I never did. I, I sort of figured that if I didn't make it to uni, what you call college, we call uni. If I didn't make it there, I'd, I'd never get back. <laughs> I'd kind okay. of go off and travel and never come back. So I thought, you know what, I'll go straight. And it was good, probably added a year on because during uni, I sort of needed that time away. But out of uni was a really interesting time because the one thing, probably the strongest thing in a career sense my dad instilled in me was you have to get your first job, your first proper job. We call it a, you know, a grad job. So it was never going to be at his firm. And I think that's always something that stuck with me. It's, I can give you holiday work. You can come and help me out. I can help you out. But out of uni, you've got to go and not only find your own job, but go and work for someone else that isn't family. You know, don't get comfortable in that handed your first job. And dad would always say, look, if you progress through your career and if you go and get experience and if for some reason it fate has it that the firms come back together or you come back to the firm or the firm's still here, you know, there was no sort of guarantee of any of that, then so be it. But you have to start separately. Otherwise, it won't be good enough. It won't give you the right start to your career. And it's something I'm sort of not sure I respected at the time, but certainly grew to respect more and more as I got experiences that were outside him and his firm. Okay. Okay. I don't know if it's the same or was the same, you know, in Australia when you were getting out of college as it was here, but we were, you know, that was a recessionary time, I think, when you were getting out of college. How did you, or at least it was here, how did you get your first job? Did you just interview on campus or how did that work? 
Yeah, it was just pounded the pavement. <laughs> I think like everyone, my staff, one of my early staff members took pride in sort of saying that Facebook when I came out of school. So it was a different experience. I think I even reckon we still looked in job ads in the paper. I think, in fact, I'm not sure on that, but I think it was early sort of online advertising of ads, of job ads. But just put the word out. I think I tried calling firms direct. I tried job ads. I tried everything. I think the interesting thing for me was I wasn't in a scores in an academic sense where you look at grades and scores. I wasn't up the top of any class ever, but I was a people person. And I think that was the interesting thing. On paper, I didn't look like much of a candidate, to be honest. But if I could get my foot in the door, then I could at least have a chat and explain the passion I had. It was really interesting. I still remember that it probably got, I mean, our, our college ends up sort of October-ish, I think, and I'd hit the pavement and dad was sort of, you know, as I said, very big on, well, you can might get some summer job, but I really want you out there looking for a job. I think it got to about February, got to about late Jan or February. So I'd been at it for a fair few months and my father actually got me a job interview with a firm that he knew. It was a family friend and he'd actually gone through this firm with one of the previous partners. And I got down to the final interview there and with the firm that I ended up at. And I still reflect on this occasionally that it was a real moment where if I had have gone with the other firm, and it actually it was that firm I ended up with gave me the job offer a day before the other firm, and I'd accepted it the night before. And it was like everything, you don't get a job offer, or you find it really hard to get a job, and then you accept one at midnight or at sort of eight o'clock at night, and at nine o'clock the next morning, you get a second offer from somewhere else. And it was really interesting that the grad job I got to, I got on my own. I'd found the job ad, I'd gone through multiple interviews, They'd picked me for me and the other job that the other job offer I got the day later was a firm that my dad knew. My dad, you know, I always suspected had sort of gone, look, get him to interview stage. You don't have to hire him, but give him an interview kind of thing. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that was true. I think that's how I felt. But one of the things for me is if I had have gone there, would I ever have felt like I got it on my own? And we'll never know, but I'm really pleased from that early on. And, and in the end, it was a great firm and I learned an absolute heap early on. Small firms, small to medium firms, you know, I haven't touched that big firm vibe. And I think that's, that's been really important for my career too. Okay. Okay. Well, take us through some of the moves, but also those early years in your career, because I'm curious sort of how you progressed and what some of the milestones were. So from the first, the first grad job, Willen and Cook, it was an amazing firm. It was five partners, St Kilda Road. I it's interesting in the current environment where we talk about women in accounting and in Australia our, our accounting seems to be about seventy thirty, especially in tax, male, female. The Willen and Cook firm when I started, there was two apart from partners, which were four male partners and one female partner, there was only two guys working in the firm below partner level. The rest of the twenty people were women and the partner who and the one female partner was the strongest partner. She you know, controlled the firm in a lovely way. Like She had such strength. But it's funny as I go through my career and, and now meeting other women in the industry who talk about sort of the horrific treatment in meetings and stuff, I, I never had it because if anything, I had the opposite. I sort of came through a very female-dominated group of firms. From the first month of my grad job, I was in, I was, I was brought into a meeting to raise $21 million, I think, for a wine company. I was in charge of sort of pulling together the documents and learning the, the, the cash flow software. 
it was an absolute thrown in the deep end and I loved it. It was a firm that was big enough to get jobs like that that I could really experience, but it was also a firm small enough where you weren't stuck doing photocopying or just punching out individual tax returns sort of for the first couple of years. Now, certainly I did my fair share of that. <laughs> That's part of the job and how you learn. But that was an amazing firm. I got through my sort of postgrad, we call it my professional chartered accountant. I think in America, you guys call it CPA. So I got through my program there and learned a lot, learned different things from all five different partners, stayed very open to what jobs were being offered, what tasks, what sort of special projects were around and also learned a lot. And then it was, I think it was five, five and a half years. And you sort of get to that point where there were five partners. There were very, very strong established managers that sort of in a way, well, not in a way, weren't going anywhere. And I thought that it was the chance to move and look for a manager position. That's sort of what I wanted. The firm was a little bit heavy. My first firm was a little bit heavy in the management level, so there wasn't as much progression. So I went to a firm in, actually, I've never worked around the corner from my house. It was the first firm that I was actually, literally, I think it was about 300 meters. It was very good and worked for a partner. I've never seen this since in my career. I've worked for a partner that billed every minute of every day. Like it was the most 100% pure timesheet based firm I've ever seen. He was a machine. Like whatever went on the time cost report got billed. It was, I still never kind of, <laughs> I'm looking out the window now going, I, I just, I still can't believe that existed. I can't believe that he'd trained the client so well or badly, I suppose, depending how you look at it. But to accept that, that firm, I found a group of managers, yeah, two female managers, myself, and another older guy who came in who was sort of a little bit like a mentor type. But it was really funny because the partners weren't necessarily all pulling in the same direction. And I think that's something that while at my first job, the partners were pretty well aligned, albeit two of them were in, were in sort of older stages of the career. But the second firm was the partners were, were really on their own path. It was basically three or four different small firms that just happened to be sharing a name. You never actually felt like any of the partners talked to each other. It was a really it was a really interesting demographic. But what that firm gave me was a great again thrown in the deep end. The managers controlled the firm. We controlled everything sort of below partner level advisory work. We got all the work in, we managed all the staff, we had to plan all the work, we had to budget all the work, we had to report on the budget. We would come into partner meetings and report on the outcome. It was my 100% my learning on how to run a firm because we were given as a group of managers pretty much full reign to do exactly what we wanted to do, which was really empowering. Having that reporting lay on top of it was sort of that accountability was really interesting too, but it gave me an awful lot of skills. Well, it sounds like that was really good experience. I'm curious, how did you transition into having five ways. How did you transition into being your own boss? What was that like? So I think I'm very much a person who tries to learn from everything, good good or bad. And my second job was where we had, the partners were just so hard on us. We controlled everything. We ran that firm unbelievably well. And, And it was actually that there was a Christmas there where we saw probably from, as I said, the highest efficiency of a partner to some of the coldest 
behaviour. We'd turn out these insane numbers uh, we, month on month and the partners were just, didn't appreciate anything. And, and sort of in the end, it ended up to, I think, five or six people leaving after the same Christmas. But you learn from everything. The job I went to there and sort of from that second job, I wasn't quite ready in a skill set. I was a lot closer to sort of starting my own business. I think starting your own firm takes so much guts that it's really, really underestimate how much guts it took. The firm I went to in the middle, so I, coming out of that second job, I basically said, I want a management spot, but this one, I have to have a pathway to partner. I have to be able to see myself getting to partner. Um, so I picked a firm, single partner, multidisciplinary firm. The partner wanted to sort of transition a bit into financial planning. He was looking for someone to come, come and take, come and step up to partnership in the accounting side. And I was excited. I got there, it was a younger guy, a younger partner. He seemed like he was really smart, like a really smart operator. This firm turned out to be one of the most calamitous I've ever worked at, Mark. It was hilarious. If you weren't in the middle of it, it was hilarious. There was a divorce. The partner's wife worked in the firm. They divorced, which got ugly. The partner ended up getting together with the receptionist who became the financial planner. The financial planner girlfriend of the partner now had two of her sisters working in the firm. Each of them had a boyfriend in the firm. If it didn't actually happen, you wouldn't know how calamitous it was. But because there was a divorce, he wouldn't bill anything because it would affect the value of the firm. So look, it was again, just an amazing, an amazing sense. And I think for me, it really helped understand that if you didn't make your own firm, you weren't going to control someone else's firm. That was the point where I said, cool, I can sort of see this going nowhere. And it was time to make a call. And I come again to say that that going out on your own is a very tough decision. I think it certainly was for me at the time. My, my now wife, who was there, my girlfriend said, look, do it. She had a good job and we had good income and we had sort of, I had a place to stay. I could stay with her and, and I was very lucky that she said, yeah, start your own firm and give it a crack, give it six months, give it however long and go from there. I also had a one key client or, or one main client that sort of offered me a couple of days work in their office while I built up the firm too. And I think that decision was something that obviously, and that was 10 years ago that I've had my own firm, 10 years this, this year that was a wonderful experience. And I think that it's not easy, certainly. And my firm has changed over the years. But one of the things I did, which I often talk about in presentations and stuff is when I started my firm, I took out a blank piece of paper and I said to myself, what does a firm look like? In cloud accounting was just starting. Zero had just sort of hit Australia. It was in its first sort of year or two in Australia. And I really designed the firm that I wanted to work in. The first thing I wrote was no timesheets. And the second thing I wrote was fixed fee billing. And from there, I just designed the firm that I wanted and none of it involved an office. There was a point early on between leaving the job and starting my own firm where I did, I did have meetings with a couple of people to look at buying fees and buying an office. And it was another one of those moments where you're like, if I hadn't made that decision, it, it would be on a really different trajectory. But I'm glad that I started fresh because you don't take on any legacy people, any legacy issues, any legacy clients. And the most part for me was any legacy ideas. I could be 100% cloud from day one. And yeah, that's sort of how it all started. Wow. So do you have any employees now or is it pretty much just you or, or, one, or one employee, employees but yeah. helpers? 
you know. Yeah, so one employee now, and that's been the case sort of for the last four or five years. So I started, I got a website that was, it had a black background. And I think anyone 10 years ago who remembers seeing accounting websites will know that they were all white. They were all white. They were all plain. They all had far too many words. I had like half the amount of words, a tenth of the amount of words, and it was a black background and people would lose their minds, which was quite cool. So the first person that ever approached me to kind of work with the firm was another partner, um, was actually another person looking to start their own firm. And they're like, oh, I love what you're doing and I want to join you. And I sort of had to explain that I hadn't actually started myself yet. So my first, not hire, but my first sort of other person in the firm actually was another partner. And then look, we grew to about seven, which was a really great way to learn because he sort of had the technology side and I was far more tax technical. So you talk about partnerships where you look at having skills that are complementary rather than being too similar a people where you end up running different firms. You know, you can sort of help each other and, and pick up the tasks that you're good at. But we grew to sort of eight of us, I think, eight of us at the height, two of us and, and six staff. And there came a moment, it was six years ago, yeah, my son's six, that the firm got to the point where we looked at whether or not we'd join with another firm. And it was a really interesting moment again because just had a family, I'd looked at, you know, what would it look like? And probably the best decision in my career I've ever made was was at that point splitting the firm and letting my partner go and join with another firm. Uh, we were going to lose the five ways name. I was going to join in a partnership with sort of four other people, which is always hard when there's different. It was going to be a firm in a different city, in a different state. So it was one of those things that, again, like, like a lot of moments in everyone's career, you have a choice and you've got to kind of weigh up all the options and just jump in. Okay. So what is five but it went ways? Back to one, from then on, it went back to one staff and, it, and I kind of, have, in a way, have never been happier. <laughs> Yeah, we all think we want to be this giant machine until you start getting there and realize, well, wait a minute, maybe I don't want to go quite that far. (laughs) Exactly, 100%. So what does Five Ways look like today? Sort of, do you have a niche? Is there a certain type of client that you do best with? Or how have you shaped the firm to be what you want? I think one staff, which for me keeps it very manageable, I try to probably work about two and a half days a week and play a lot of golf. That's kind of my life goal at the moment. Um, work with the clients that I want to work with rather than just being busy. People often ask me, do I have a niche? And I sort of say, well, do you lodge a tax return in Australia? And if you do, you're in my niche. So, which generally, you know, generally gets a bit of a, a bit of a chuckle. But really is, you know, for me, it's, it's managing the tax department for, for small to micro businesses. And then I think we talk about automated client sign up and we talk about managing marketing funnels and signing new clients up minute over minute. Every new client of the firm I speak to to make sure I'm comfortable with, you know, I want them to speak to me so that they're comfortable with me. I really want people who who work with us and yeah, rather than just being a certain size or a certain stage because um, in fact, I recently gave a talk on the concept of growth and I drew sort of on a piece of paper for the audience what I call the growth triangle, that you either grow, you either focus on growing top line revenue, net profit or time. And by time, I mean grow time away from the firm, not just expanding the time you work. You know, and I think either of those are growth to me. And you can dabble in having two. Sometimes top line revenue growth will equal net profit. Certainly time in the firm and net profit tend to work slightly against each other. But in general, 
I think a lot of firms get stuck in this just focusing on top-level, top-line growth. Certainly the marketing people who talk about accounting firms, you know, I call them leeches in a way. These people that hang on the accounting industry often talk about top-line growth rather than growing net profit or time away from the firm. You know, I was entirely guilty of it in my early career. He's wearing the number of hours you worked as a badge yeah. and saying, I worked till 2am. You know, you'd leave the office and you'd send that last email for the sole purpose of showing people how, how late you stayed. And I think that's a problem in our industry and it has been. We're getting a little bit past that, but it certainly was one of the things, traps I fell into and have really tried to get out of. So, how old are you, Paul? 42. And you're working two and, and a half day, two and a half days a week. Well, as you said, I mean, I've got sort of online training and I've got the podcast and I'm really trying to work on my golf handicap successfully and unsuccessfully. I talked about sort of that decision being around having a family. That was something that was a really important. It gave me a lot of, of context, I suppose, in life and just saying, well, there is not a finite number of hours that you can spend at work and you can spend endless time to make the money you want. I wanted to flip that in a way ever since having children and sort of said, well, this is what I want to make, but my goal is to make it efficient and make it in as little time and it's not a perfect science. You know, I suppose you go through periods where you say, well, I need to step it up or I need to work more hours or I can work less hours. But it's setting the number of hours first and then saying, how do I earn the income, the net profit I want to earn in those hours rather than the other way around where you sort of become less efficient just to and lose a lot of hours away from family to chase an income figure. So I saw on LinkedIn you are the co-founder of Freedom Mentoring. I'm seeing yep. the connection here. So are you teaching other business owners how to lessen their time? Is that, or what, what yeah, is that Yeah, yeah. So I started over the journey, over the sort of the 10 years, I was one of Zero's first partners in Australia and people used to always come up to me and say, how do you do it? How do you do no timesheet? How do you do your billing? How do you work remotely? I'd had periods with the family where we'd go overseas for two months and I'd still run the firm remotely. And I think that's becoming far more of a thing now. But four years ago, it sort of wasn't as much, especially for that amount of time. And people keep asking me. So I sort of thought, look, I'll, I'll put some online content together for it and try to impart some wisdom. So there is a, yeah, freedommentoring.com. I'm pretty sure. And there's a series of webinars and an online video content. But I saw a gap in those small firms, those small firms who are being told to get bigger for the sake of getting bigger, you know, who are otherwise just looking for practical how people have done it. I've been there. You know, I suppose that's, I share my stories from building a cloud-based firm. Um, I try not to talk about, unlike a lot of people, I think, in the accounting industry who just listen to a lot and read a lot of blogs and sort of repurpose it as their own ideas, even though they, they haven't necessarily been in a firm. So yeah, some of the online stuff's great, especially for small firms that are lonely, are isolated geographically, but also by their size, they don't have a water cooler, they don't have another partner they can discuss their work with. And freedom mentoring, kind of the community becomes a little bit of that. Okay. I guess, tell me about your podcast as well. I know it's called From the Trenches. Is that something you're still producing? Or? Yeah, four, I think it's, we're, on our, we're on our fourth year, I think. So I had a co-working space. I had an office next door to this, another accountant in a co-working space in Melbourne. And it was funny because every other day, one of us would be propped in the other person's sort of office door or next to their desk, just talking about what we'd seen on social media or what was happening in accounting. And we'd give each other a bit of banter and we'd get 
into each other a bit and we'd get fairly animated and it was his staff member actually that said you guys should should record this because it's pretty funny and it went from there and it was interesting we were working in this co-working space was actually one a radio show producer who produced one of Australia's top rating breakfast programs and we hit him up we hit him up for sort of some advice and we told him what we wanted to do and we turned the normal interview podcast format into more of our news and current affairs. We have a best on ground, a worst on ground. We do separate interview episodes, but we also have an in-depth topic. We try to do per week. We certainly do our best and worst on ground per week. And it's been really good. It's been a really great way, again, to reach that audience that don't otherwise have other people they can talk to in the industry. And they've got a lot of people selling ideas to them and telling them what software they should be buying, but not other stories from the trenches, as we say. Okay. Okay. So sounds like you're already sort of where you want to be, but I'm curious if your professional life goes the way you want it to go over the next several years. I mean, what does that look like? Are you working towards a goal? Are you trying to get down to just half a day? week. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy it. You know, I still love talking to clients about their tax. For me, there's always a goal of more automation because much of, apart from the fact a lot of people say that automation is going to take work away, you know, I think it takes the work away that you're not going to charge for. The value in the job still there. So there's more to automate. There is, it's a constant dance for me between creating capacity and Sometimes I take too much time away from the firm. Sometimes I concentrate a little too much on golf. But I think for me, it's a dance. I think you're never going to get it 100% right. Um, But certainly there's the engine of the firm could run smoother. And whether that means give up some time and grow a little bit, then we'll see where that goes. If it means just more profit and less time, well, then the, the golf handicap should improve even quicker. But look, I think for me, it's a little bit about the mood takes me. The kids are still pretty young, so there's still a lot of good time at home. They haven't quite learnt to sit on the couch and ignore their parents quite yet. I think when that happens, you know, when I'm not getting as much uh, attention at home, I'll probably reinvest some of that time in uh, a bit more work, but for now, it's sort of working. Okay. Okay. Well, I just had to ask. I mean, obviously, you're very happy doing what you're doing, so I was curious if really there's any improvement to be made, (laughs) you know. There always is, you know, I think nothing's perfect and there's no one firm. The firm that works for me doesn't work for other people. And I think that's probably one of the best lessons I've ever had is you've just got to make it work for you, run the firm or do the job that you want to do. You've just got to be true to yourself. You've just got to do what, run the firm that, that you want to do. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. This has been a wonderful discussion. I do end every podcast with the same three questions, though, so I better get to those and for the, yep. the sake of time. First one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Making the decision to run a small firm that works for me and not one of those stereotypical grow at all cost. I think for me, it's a difficult decision when society in a way is all about how big, how fast you're growing etc. Making that time to prioritize time with family and profit over the overall size. I, I can't agree more. I'm a parent myself. And yeah, you're right. That's good to see. Being able to be in a career wise that then gave me the ability to spend a day a week at home with both kids from birth. You know, I think that is validation for the fact that you can prioritize that while still making money, you know, sort of everyone sort of says, oh, you're just working lifestyle. You know, you can still, with the automation in accounting, you can still make a full-time wage. 
There you go. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because really that's how we learn. Taking on too much work and working too many hours has always been something, you know, probably the biggest biggest thing I've regretted or, or kind of looked back and said, that wasn't great. We, we had a job. I remember this. It was in my the first firm I worked for, and it was a big order job. We'd go out there all day. It was off-site. We'd sort of work for one of the partners out there, and, and it was a the perception was it was an important job, and then we'd come back and do almost a second day's work after hours trying to get the job, <laughs> so the, trying to do the work for the other partners that we'd still promised to deliver. And I think when you're younger, you do overcommit in a way. And it, it ended quite badly because the partners that had relied on you to get the job done, you didn't deliver from them. And it wasn't about what you delivered for someone else. It was about not delivering the work you promised by trying to overcommit. I think you know, there's a great saying, and I, <laughs> when I launch into the saying, I always have to double check to that I've got it the right way, but it's you know, under promise and over deliver. And I think that certainly there was a couple of months there where I just was, there was so many balls in the air. I was trying to work two jobs and in the end ended quite badly because you then aren't trusted by one of the partners or in fact, in the, in the end, by both sides because you, you were doing two jobs badly rather than one job properly and not communicating. I think you can do it if you communicate better rather than just say, no, 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 I'll just get it done. I'll just get it done. And it, you sort of, it stretches until it breaks. You know, be honest about what you've got on, be honest about what you're going to achieve and your competing priorities and it'll be all right. You know, certainly better than just trying to bring it all in and hide under the desk until it comes out or breaks. Yes. Yeah, I was laughing a little bit because I thought I was the only one that misquoted that sometimes. Under promise, over deliver. Sometimes... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I say it and I go, hang on, that's not right, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, last question and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Don't come with a question, come with an answer. Is a line or is a, I suppose, a mantra that I got from one of my partners. And it was when you bring a file, when you bring a question, when you bring a query, not coming and saying, I can't do this or I've stopped or what do I do here? He was, this particular partner was, was really empowering in saying, don't, don't burn too much time on it, but at least come to me with what you think the answer is. You don't have to be right. I'm not going to mark you on it, but never come to me if you haven't tried to go and do some research, push yourself to find an answer. And he used to say that a lot. You know, you don't come to me with a question. You've got to sort of have an opinion on how you think we can handle it. And and while I didn't know it at the time, the real lesson there and the real benefit there was I'd made the effort and I was thinking for myself. He could have given me the answer. I mean, clearly he knew it. And it, it was just more that it was empowering me to have a go and not just a job to stop, throw up my hands and say, just tell me what to do, which I think a lot of people fall into, especially in that, that sort of you're younger in your career. Definitely. Well, this really has been a great interview. I appreciate it. If someone wants to find out more about you or your companies online, I know there's a lot of places, but where would you want to point them? LinkedIn for me. Feel free to reach out. All of my details are on there. That tends to be my most professional platform. There's a Twitter account too that, that gets a bit wild and woolly. Twitter is uh, you know, is a different beast to LinkedIn, but certainly LinkedIn for me. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate you sharing the time with me and with our audience. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.
Well, that was our interview with Paul Meissner. And I guess still, like I said in the intro, the primary takeaway for me in all this was that he works two and a half days a week in his accounting practice. And because he's not only been able to, but he's decided to structure his life in that way, he's able to have time for other ventures as well. And obviously, some of them are what some people would define as work, I guess. But he structured the the career and and work-life balance that he wants for his life. He's made some brave decisions, and it's very admirable. You could tell that he really enjoys what he does. If you found value in this episode for yourself, please make sure and leave us a rating like I mentioned in the intro. And also, you may find a couple of our publications beneficial to you in your career. We have two books on Amazon. The first one is 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career. And the second is 49 Tips for Working with a Headhunter. Once again, both available on Amazon and both available in all versions. Thank you again for joining us. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for the Where Accountants Go podcast. And we'll see you all next week. There's more to come.